and welcome to The Future Report, a podcast hosted by social research company McCrindle for anyone curious about the future. My name is Ashley Fell, and each week I'll be sitting down with a guest to discuss a topic or trend that you need to know about. While the baby boomers are currently more active in the workforce for their age than those who went before them, over the next decade, we're going to see a significant change of the guard as the youngest of the baby boomers move past 65 and begin to ease out of the workforce. When they do, they are going to leave a pretty significant knowledge, labour and leadership gap for the following generations to take up. But that doesn't mean a quiet retirement because the baby boomers are redefining this life stage and what ageing looks like. So in today's episode, we are going to find out why that is happening. And joining me today to discuss this is social researcher and demographer Mark McCrindle. Hello, Mark. G'day, Ash. Great to have you on the podcast as always. So today we're talking about the baby boomers, a generation in some ways that is a bit of a bridge to the past, particularly maybe for their children or their grandchildren and who just can't imagine, you know, a life before these devices that we use for everything. Mark, do you have any things that come to mind when you think about maybe your parents or your grandparents even that, you know, stories they told you or gadgets they maybe use that seem like that sort of bridge to the past? Anything that's really different to the world that we know today? Well, it's interesting when I've talked to my dad about his upbringing growing up in the 1930s in Ipswich, which back then was a separate city from town, really, from Brisbane. Now it just all extends from that sprawl of Brisbane as it heads west. He grew up at his earliest years before his street was connected to electricity. So they cooked on a potbelly stove, a wood-fired stove. They they would boil water from, again, wood heat uh, for baths and the like. Uh, it was a very um, different existence to what we have today without even you know, light switches, let alone plug-in devices. But it was actually the same experience in so many ways to what had taken place through history pre-electricity. And and it's interesting that here that bridge to, I guess, those historic times before, you know, what we take for granted today and his grandchildren, my kids uh, interact in a world where computers are, are in their pockets in terms of these smart devices and they can connect with anyone on the planet. So, so in the span of three generations, utter transformation and um, and just reflecting on that, you know, the, the seniors of today, how they really have bridged a world from what was unchanged uh, through so much of history to this 21st century digital world is pretty phenomenal to contemplate. Yeah, it is. I, I always talk to my Oma and my mum about this as well, uh, in terms of just these older generations who have, who are still alive today, who have seen so much change, like they're they're talking about the metaverse, you know, and they're trying to get their heads around it. But then they were the generation who saw the inception of sort of colour TV. And that's the example I think of that my mum, she would always tell the story of like, we might just be sitting around watching the TV as a family or something. She's like, I remember the day that colour TV, you know, came to be. And I'm like, what? There's a time before like A TV and B color TV, like it wasn't a thing. It's just it is worlds apart to the live the lives that we live today and the technologies we have. So an incredibly um, important generation, I think, both the builders and the baby boomers who um, have yeah, like you said, have a bridge to the past and they play an increasingly important role in society to this day, definitely. But I thought, Mark, we could get your thoughts as we start to think about this topic and particularly on the aging population, because 
Personally, I actually remember hearing this a lot when I was at school and kind of just one of those things I was like, oh, yeah, Australia's got an aging population. Yep, cool. And now we talk about it as one of sort of the key demographic trends and I'm a bit more passionate about it today than maybe I was when I was, you know, in year 10. But could you tell us a little bit about what's happening in terms of Australia's aging population for those maybe who aren't as involved with the ABS or keeping up to date with sort of population trends as we are? Sure. Well, the median age, which is the midpoint in our population, the average age, if you like, is 38. Now, to highlight how we are aging, two decades ago, it was 35. And in two decades time, it'll be 40. So Mm -hmm. that's the trend line that we find ourselves on as measured by average age. Now, what it means in even diagrams we we deal with and and others might um, picture or have seen a population profile, which has all of the population divided on a on a graph by age. And normally it was a pyramid shape. It used to be called the population pyramid because you had a lot more young people uh, down the bottom, zero, one, two, three, four. And, and then as you got through the 40s, 50s, 60s and beyond, there were fewer and fewer. And so it made a pyramid shape. Well, Australia's population profile is no longer a pyramid. It's increasingly a rectangular shape. And that's because we're aging in that people are living longer. And so we've got more people relative to our population in the older age group than we've had in the past. And if we look at um, implications of this, um, it means we've got not only, therefore, an aging population, but in real terms for us, it means we've got an aging community. So more older people, again, relative to what we might have had in the past in those older age groups, we've got an aging consumer or customer base. We've got an aging workforce where we've got a wider age range in our workforce than ever before as people not only live longer, but work later in life as well. So more of these age gaps to bridge and therefore more of a focus on us all to understand these different generations and be prepared to connect across. I guess it has impacts at a macroeconomic level because an aging population means that you've got more people outside of the workforce, outside of, therefore, the taxpaying base. And if we look at our national annual accounts, when the budget comes down each year, we'll, we'll note that about half of all of the federal income comes through income tax. That's the biggest form of income. The government has to pay all the bills and, and it's way above company tax, which is um, almost as big as GST, which is quite big as well, but they are very small compared to income tax. And then you've got all the other excise duties and the, and the, the like making up the, the rest of the federal government income. So in other words, with all of the bills to pay and costs and society to fund, income tax is the biggest source. And obviously, as we age, there's fewer people chipping into that because they're not working, so they're not paying income tax. But on the cost side, there are growth um, costs because uh, a- aging profile means that we've got greater health care costs. And this was picked up in the in the latest census, which looked at the proportion of Australians living with a long-term health condition. And in the younger age group, it was less than one in 10. But in the oldest age group, it's the vast majority. In fact, it's it's nearly more than three in four uh, will have a long-term health condition. So mm. healthcare costs grow as we age uh, individually and therefore as a nation. Uh, the pension costs, uh, the, the the retirement living costs of funding um, aged care, all of these costs grow and yet the income tax is is impaired. So so that's the structural budget deficits that can flow from an aging profile that we need to be aware of. Now, it's not to say that 
those older people um, are the problem here because actually they've been the ones through their working lives for longer uh, mm-hmm. as, a, as a working generation funding the income tax and there's no expectation for them to contribute further to tax having paid a whole lifetime of it. And mm-hmm. um, it's a fantastic thing that we live in a society where the expectations are that regardless of age, we've got universal health care and that we've got a pension for those who have paid tax through their life and uh, and and uh, uh, obviously aren't working so need money to live on and of course that uh, that retirement places are funded and available for anyone not just those who have the money to pay for it so it's it's a fantastic thing that we have all of this but we just need to be aware that it needs to be planned for and as we wind the clock forward and look at the trajectories there's going to be more of these costs to pay as we age and uh, and therefore less reliance on on income taxpayers who will be a smaller proportion of the overall population as we age. Mm, there's some really helpful insights there, Mark, particularly around that tax paying base, which uh, yeah has some flow and implications, I guess, for for all of us. Um, I remember doing some presentations over the last few years around the aged care sector and another implication that we would talk about. And it's encapsulated in an infographic that we developed a couple of years ago called the aged care puzzle and even how that workforce is aging as many industries are, but that's the workforce that is we're going to see as the population continues to age a real demand, but a lack of supply. And just that that median age of that sector is a lot higher than, than other sectors in terms of people working in it. So how do we replace those workers who are retiring, but also keep up with that demand? I mean, there's, yeah, particularly for that sector, and that could be said for many others, but how we care for older Australians who are moving into retirement or need higher, have higher care needs is, is certainly, I think, going to be something, a challenge yeah. as we've worked on with many of our clients. So Yeah, and I think on that workforce side across all sectors, that's what we're experiencing. You know, we're hearing about the skills shortage and uh, record low unemployment rates in Australia. And a factor there is that we've got a big generation now easing out of uh, the workplace and uh, we don't have the young people coming in to replace them, at at least not at the same age that these retirees started their work, which was Mm. late teenage years or early 20s. I mean, now people are more likely to stay in their study years a lot longer. And when they do start work, they're looking for a little bit more work-life balance. Maybe they're taking time out to do a bit of travel, maybe take time out and start their own business or have a a, a bit of a gig economy um, work on the side. And so those that are leaving full-time roles as they retire are not being replaced with full-time roles. And, uh, and of course, once you leave the workforce, you actually consume a lot of services. And so you, you need the labor there to provide those goods and services, as you said, aged care and healthcare retirement uh, services. And so that's another factor that's creating the shortages we have in the Australian labor market. Mm, it's it's complex uh, with looking at those factors, but you always explain it in a very easy to understand way, Mark. So thank you. As we think about the next generation facing retirement, we are talking about mostly the baby boomers. Um, and I imagine, you know, if you're a Gen Z or a millennial listening, don't know how much you know about the boomers. Maybe it's just that OK Boomer sort of label that did the rounds a few years ago. But I remember in a previous episode of the podcast, Mark, you painted a really um, really great picture of this generation in terms of, like you mentioned earlier, just alluding to the fact that they've worked their whole lives. They've been the backbone of our nation and our economy and much of what we have today we owe to the work that they have done and the progress they've achieved throughout 
their life. Um, what would you say to someone who was curious about who the baby boomers are in terms of a bit more of an evidence-based snapshot rather than just a generational stereotyping? How would you paint a picture of who the baby boomers are? Well, starting with the facts as to, I guess, why they're even given that label, and that's because they were part of this post-World War II baby boom, which you really see on the birth rate charts in Australia, that from actually 1945, as Australian soldiers started coming back, but particularly 1946, which is the official start of the baby boomer cohort, we saw birth rate rise and with that birth numbers rise and continue to increase until 1961 when we hit an all-time high birth rate in Australia. We were averaged 3.5 babies per woman. That's how, wow. what's what the total fertility rate translates to, the birth rate. Um, now, by the way, we're, we're down to 1.5 uh, babies per woman per lifetime. So, so less than half what we had at the peak in 1961. But through the early 1960s, that birth rate dropped off, and by 1964, it was really starting to head down. So from 1946 to 1964, we have this bell curve of record births, and that created the baby boomers, nearly 5 million in Australia, and they have dominated our society, not just from those births and that boom, but through the teenage years, they really created the popular culture that and the mindset of the teenager as a separate life stage. Uh, prior to that, you're a child and then you're an adult. Uh, but they ushered in sociologically, you know, the teens, the teen years. Your rock and roll was coming around as they were, a lot more freedom for young people, a lot more um, recreational time and indeed um, entertainment spend. And so they ushered in this separate demographic that was targeted by um, youth marketers uh, to engage. That was the beginning of the whole uh, customer segmentation or youth marketing uh, approach. And, uh, and and they reinvented that. They then transformed what young adult looks like. And then in the family years, they went on to have uh, big families in their own way, it really started the the, the suburban uh, lifestyle that has continued now for 50 years as they began their, their families and their children largely are the millennials uh, or Generation Y. So the baby boomers, the peak of them were getting married late 70s, having children early 80s in, in that sort of life stage. And, and there in two generations, we have so much of Australia's recent history and demographics defined. Uh, the baby boomers and their children, the millennials, you know, really transformed our society. And and so that's that's the impact on the Australian social and demographic landscape. But they continue to to reinvent and redefine now as they move through those post full-time working years. Now they're still making great contributions and many still working, although not necessarily full-time, but but they're now the grandparents and they're uh, they're impacting even another generation in that regard, and they continue to be the, the the highest net worth generation in our in our society, just because of the the value of their homes and and some of their investments as well. Um, so they've they've got demographic power, economic power, you know, social power in so many ways, and and generally using that to continue to make contributions to our nation. Yeah, I I think about. The baby boomers in my life, and they're uh, incredibly resilient people that I know who are, are of that generation. And like you mentioned, they're the parents of a lot of my friends. They're grandparents to a lot of my friends' kids, and my nieces and nephews. Like they're they're an incredible generation. When you speak to them about their life experiences and what they have lived through, and many of them, like you said, still working, still uh, contributing, even though as we 
look to the future, they will be sort of entering and thinking about retirement. And I mentioned in the introduction there, and we've done some research around this, that the the idea of retirement is kind of shifting among this generation. I guess it makes sense because they've redefined lots of other areas of, of life and society as we know it. But any, do you have any reflections, Mark, on, on how this generation, this baby boomer generation are and will redefine maybe the traditional concept of what retirement is and, and what it looked like? Well, they're redefining it because of a few unique factors about them. First, they're part of this longevity boom that we were discussing. You know, when they began their life, uh, you know, you're, you're retired at 60, um, maybe 65, uh, because there was uh, not too many years left after that. And uh, there was a pension provided just to get you through those, those last years. The average a life expectancy today uh, takes uh, women to 85 uh, and men just a couple of years less than that. That's life expectancy at birth currently. And and many of these baby boomers are really starting to, to see that. They are living longer than their parents lived. And not only are they living longer, uh, but they are younger longer. By that, I mean their health and their mobility is better. Uh, not necessarily just because of their own choices in eating better or looking after their health, although there has been a little, a fair bit of that. And we look at the decline in smoking uh, rates over the last half century, and it's been quite phenomenal. And so, so they're able to live longer in some ways because of that, but largely because of the the health profession and the pharmaceutical sector and the ability through medical intervention to have greater mobility for longer, to uh, use those longer years of life effectively and healthfully. And, and so the longevity in life and mobility uh, means that they are able to to, to have a, a redefined post-working life. The second factor is attitude. Uh, they are not looking like the pensioners of old did. Uh, they're not happy to, uh, to, to sort of live on a government-provided pension and um, you know, turn the electricity off and wrap themselves in a, in a blanket and uh, you get the discounts lunch on a Tuesday at the local RSL. They are living large, not universally, but um, increasingly. Uh, they have an attitude where they're perhaps downsizing their empty nest home, but they're upscaling it in terms of getting something newer that's fit for purpose. They're not getting rid of the car. They're actually buying a new one that's going <laughs> to help them. Maybe it's four-wheel drive for a little bit more travel or to do the big lap around Australia. They're, they're spending money on, on travel. They want to be a bit more actively involved in their lives of their grandkids. Many are still working, maybe a side business that they've got going. And so the attitude that they have to the post-working years are not like retirees of old. And the third factor, you know, if you've got um, life and you've more, more life, more years, more more energy, and you've got uh, an attitude uh, to, to really get the most of these years and life stage, um, and you have a third factor, which is money, uh, then that does really lead to a very different lifestyle in the 70s and, and, and well into the 80s. And that's what we're seeing with the baby boomers. They're redefining that because they they are able to unlock some of the capital, some of the worth of the family home. Maybe some of them have some investments as well. They were on the tail end of superannuation, but nonetheless, they did start to save for their retirement. And uh, they've really inherited 
pretty much an economic half-century miracle uh, in Australia where they saw their house prices in many cases quadruple and that has enabled them even though many were not two income earning households but often one uh, to really do very well and uh, and have some money left to travel and to do some other things so so the longevity combined with the new attitude of of retirement and and money has meant a total redefinition of what it looks like to retire and yet to live out those uh, those years in a different way to what they saw their own parents do that Mm. As you were sharing those insights, I was thinking about a quote that I've heard before. I'm going to butcher it because I can't remember exactly the wording or who said it, but I have heard it said that there's three kind of things that you have throughout your life and you have them in different proportions because of your different life stages. I think it's money, energy and time. So maybe when you're younger, you've got a lot of energy and maybe a lot of time when you're at school or when you're at uni, but you don't have a lot of money because you haven't worked. And then when you're in full-time work, you've maybe got a bit more energy if you're younger, but not much time because you're working. And then maybe as you get older, you've got more time and hopefully more money, but maybe not as much energy. But it's interesting to hear your reflections, Mark, because like you said, due to that longevity boom, people are young, are healthier younger and they've got maybe more energy um, as they look to live longer and they've maybe got that time and those three parts of the equation so it's interesting based on that life stage and I guess as as we think about these trends I think we we really enjoy obviously at McCrindle studying human behavior and thinking about the demographics and the data but then there's also that overlaying sort of human element of it and sometimes philosophical nature of what we talk about in terms of even the idea of aging um, I mean do you have any reflections mark on on the baby boomers and based on these qualities they possess and life experiences they have in the context in which they are aging do you think that changes their perception of aging and as they get older It does. And this has been a generation that have been very modern in their outlook and in their lifestyle. And the realities of life and life stages are catching up with them now. And I think in a a good way, which is making them more philosophical, more contemplative. Uh, As we age, uh, the things that we accumulate, the successes of the past mean a bit less to us. uh, And we we start to think about what does matter, uh, about what is the legacy we're leaving, about the next Mm -hmm. generation and the and the generation after. And, um, and, and that's happening now with the baby boomers who, like probably every generation of young people, uh, were themselves derided as a little bit fickle, a little bit superficial, a little bit living for the now and accumulating the stuff. Well, they're certainly at the life stage now uh, where the stuff is, is not key and they're trying to travel a bit lighter and, uh, and try to think about what matters most. Uh, by the time we hit midlife and, in fact, travel after it, we have less life ahead and more life in the past. Um, the past is greater than than the future. And I guess life uh, reflects that way where uh, their own future and their years are, are less, um, but they're able to draw on the wealth of wisdom and experience from the past and pass that on to their children. And that's an important thing. I think when we're young, talking to older parents or grandparents, we don't appreciate um, the the wealth, the wisdom, the life advice that they pass on to us uh, because we're in the here and we're in the now. Uh, whereas they've got that reservoir of experience and lessons learned often from their own mistakes that they're happy to pass on. And, and, and so that's helping them as grandparents now um, uh, connect and, and use those years um, to even more meaningful impact. Uh, their, their years are flying by, and that's just a fact of the relativity of, of 
the years that we've lived. Uh, I was thinking about doing some quick maths on this, but my son has just turned 12. One year of his life going from 11 to 12 years of age is 9% of his existence. A mm. year is significant. A 65-year-old has just retired. One year of their 65 years is 1.5% of their life. Mm. And so the 9% versus the 1.5%, just compare those two stats. It's the exact same 365 days for those two individuals. But for the 65-year-old, that's six times faster. Uh, that that year passes relative to what they have lived out. Or for the younger one, it's a six times longer year relative to their experience of life. And so that's why the years fly by. And that's why older people say, wow, it's, it's only been um, a decade. You know, it, it, it seems like it was just a year because everything has been compressed and the mm. years fly by. You know, they're going to school reunions that are 50-year reunions. They've got children that are in their 50s or or, 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 um, or, or grandkids that are now in their teenage years or, or, or getting close to marriage themselves. They, they'll stand in a place, say, I have not been here for 50 or 60 years and it, I can remember how it was or they'll catch up with a friend they haven't seen for 30 years and say, well, it seems like yesterday. That's the scale of, of how the decades pass and, and how the experience is um, when someone is in this life stage. And that gives a philosophical outlook. And so mm -hmm. it is a generation that are starting to think about purpose and meaning. Um, we did our own studies, Ash, as you know, looking at how Australians have adjusted their thinking since COVID, what has been their experience, regardless of age, and thinking more about the meaning of life, thinking more about spiritual things uh, has been definitely on the rise, uh, thinking more about purpose and uh, what happens next? Uh, the metaphysical, not just the physical and the tangible, uh, is is what's been exercised increasingly over the last couple of years by Australians. Well, even more by older Australians uh, when they have that time to reflect, to contemplate, and, and I think that's a fantastic thing. I think it's an important thing uh, for Australians. Uh, particularly at this age, to contemplate on their life. Uh, can't change those mistakes, but it's certainly healthy to look back and to learn from them and maybe pass on some lessons and think about how we do invest the years to come. Yes, they're less than the years that have been lived, but they're still years, and it's a great opportunity to impact, to make a difference. It's great when we've surveyed young people, and we found in many ways they're on the same page because we've said, what do you want most in a career? And those top four factors are a career or a role where I can have meaning and purpose, a career or a role where I can have meaningful social interaction, uh, a role where I can have values resonance, where I can spend my time working in a place that, that actually is values aligned, and fourthly, where I can make a positive impact on the world around me. Now, that's, that's where this generation is at. Um, in their retirement years, they want to use those years again for meeting purpose, impact, um, and 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 social um, connection, and and I think that's fantastic. And the more they do reflect on on that, uh, the more they can live out the years, however long they may be ahead, um, to to maximum impact. Yeah, it's oh such great reflections there, Mark. I think a really interesting perspective on even aging, because yeah, it can. I even have the, I've had those moments before where you're like, I'm old enough to have not been in this place for a decade. Oh, okay. Mm. When did that happen? You know, <laughs> that kind of like, oh, I've got to come to grips with that sort of reality. But I also really appreciated what you were sharing about 
like your son and and someone older in terms of how how long a year is as a percentage of their life. And as you were sharing that, I was thinking no wonder older generations just have that wisdom and perspective and resilience that maybe we don't see as much in in younger people because you know they they have lived through so much and and I think about the research we conducted during the pandemic and just the mental health impacts on Generation Z, for example, compared to older Australians where, yeah, when a COVID tumultuous year has been sort of, you know, a ninth of their life or whatever compared to generations past or older, sorry, who are saying, oh, life is a series of ups and downs and, okay, this is your big, you know, external contextual kind of down, but they know the, the grooves of life. So, mm. yeah, some really great insights there and I think a really good reminder as we even think about intergenerational workplaces, about honouring the experience mm. and the wisdom and the life perspective that older generations do bring. We talk a lot about the younger generations because, of course, this is the future report and it's important to think about them and not discount their perspective, but in exactly the same way. And, and I remember I've, I've shared, you know, talks like you have, Mark, at uh, conferences and it's often about understanding Generation Z and how to engage them and, and motivate them. And then oftentimes it's older employees saying, well, don't forget about us too. Like yeah. with the younger ones, have got to respect us too. So it, it goes both ways in terms of that intergenerational sort of community i think so and there's so much to learn isn't there from mm. from older people and and that empathy is so important uh we can i think as the children of older parents or or you know many listeners perhaps grandchildren um not quite understand uh the, the that that life stage and and maybe why we get some reactions uh, for example downsizing from that empty nest home it just seems like it's common sense to mm -hmm. our grandparents or parents you know now's the time let's let's get rid of this stuff let's get you in a, in a in a more fit for purpose place and maybe a newer place and but that home is laden it is emotionally heavy mm -hmm. um now Great emotion, you know, great, great memories, but but heavy memories. And sometimes the thought of uh, moving out of that, which was the place where the children grew up, which has so many experiences and life stages embedded in that place, is is a harder thing. Let alone going through all the stuff that has been accumulated, because mm. all of that uh, again is is a, there's emotional attachments to that, and and it's it's uh, in many ways. Um, a journey as we go through the garage or the shed or the spare uh, room uh, laden with stuff. Um, it's a reminder of plans that weren't accomplished because there's the unopened tool or, um, <laughs> or, or resource there, maybe the yeah. material that was never made into that dress that was the plan. Um, and and it's, it's very emotional. And uh, and it's through that experience we have the the older generations really recognise that actually the stuff doesn't matter, uh, and all the stuff that they laid up and accumulated it actually um, turns out to to not be as important as we we thought it was at the time. And the freeingness of getting to that point where materialism doesn't have the same grip on one is is fantastic, and they can invest uh, and be more generous and philanthropic as they look to the future as well. And we see that with with older Australians and their uh, desire to give to the next generation to support kids or grandkids even in getting into a home uh, mm. or, or, or giving to charities and volunteering their time, the most precious thing we have, our time, and volunteering that to make a difference in the lives of others. It's it's fantastic to see. So, so if older Australians continue that attitude of releasing the grip on the stuff and, uh, and giving and supporting in areas that are more even more meaningful, um, well, that's uh, that's 
you know, uh, uh, years ahead to, to be well lived. And, and I think the lessons passed on of the life lived uh, already um, is, is a great legacy to leave also. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I was even just thinking about your answer there and, and your comment around even, you know, helping older parents move into that life stage. And yeah, I mean, I've experienced that in my own family and in friends of mine in terms of, yeah, that kind of resistance to maybe making a decision that most people you know, in the life of a loved one can see they think is a good decision, but there's just, it's met with a bit of resistance, which you can totally understand if you put yourselves in their shoes and think about, yeah, our own attachments to certain things or homes with, with, with those sorts of memories. But I guess that is part of the, the future of maybe even aging and, and retirement and helping the baby boomers is the impact that it will have even on their children as they help their parents to make those decisions. As we think about, even the future of the aged care sector. I mean, there's been a lot of, it's had a lot of, a sector that's had a lot of publicity over the last few years um, around sort of helping people transition into that life stage. We do some, and we conduct a lot of actually advisory to that sector and conduct research and share some of these insights that you shared with us today, Mark. How do you see the future of retirement and aged care looking in light of the fact that it's the baby boomers moving into that life stage, it's the it's the Gen Xs and the millennial children helping them move into that life stage. Do you have any reflections there on on the future of of aged care and retirement? Well, because of the size of the cohort that we're discussing, the population amidst a, a time of aging, it's a growing sector and mm. it's already a big one. And 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 there's two um, aspects to the sector, two categories. There's the retirement living sector, uh, and then there's the aged care sector. The next stage along when we uh, will need even more support than perhaps independent living in a retirement village. Now, retirement living, only about one in 10 Australians will move out of their home into um, into a retirement village uh, where they have that independence. Um, uh, a lot will downsize and achieve the same outcome, maybe, but not in a village, but maybe buying their own unit or, or, um, or, or redeveloping where they have and, and staying there. But, but nonetheless, whichever way people go, it's ensuring that people are in age-appropriate accommodation. A lot of mm -hmm. the homes that older Australians are living in uh, just are not going to be able to uh, work with their their, their aging uh, because mm -hmm. it's got a lot of stairs uh, because the the room the bathroom just doesn't have the big enough door to bring the the walker in it's it doesn't have the grips uh, in the shower you've got to step over the bath to get into the shower those sorts of things they were built um, when people were thinking about aging in place and they were built mm -hmm. for a family that was thinking about the kids not uh, not the empty nest um, adults uh, we have found through a lot of these focus groups that when uh, older Australians have downsized from that family home. They have had, to use that phrase, a new lease on life. I mean, it has been a positive thing, whether they've moved into retirement village, which for many they do because they do have the security of the support around them, the emergency uh, button, uh, services that come to them as needed. They don't have to mow their own lawn or do the gardening because that's all part of the, the, the common property there. And indeed, um, if they then uh, want a bit more support, maybe some meals bought um, to the the, the unit uh, or other opportunities, it's all there on, on the campus, on the site. So that works for many. But as I said, only about one in 10, uh, most don't get in that pathway. But many are re re uh, doing where they are or, or downsizing to something else. And for a lot of these older Australians that we interviewed, they say, you know, when I moved into that new place or that 
refitted place. It was the first time I had a new kitchen in my life. And mm. I had a, a laundry with a really simple push button, um, you know, um, uh, washing machine or, or dryer. It was, it, was, it was encouraging for them because it's, it's important that they have something that's, that's for their age. Uh, there's no point in struggling to maintain that, um, that garden or, or worse, even contemplating getting on the ladder to scoop out mm. the leaves in the gutter. Uh, and that is the temptation that we can manage it because I've been managing this place for 40 years. But there comes a time when we have to recognize the reality and say, maybe I can manage a different place, more a unit style um, or, or a, uh, maybe a townhouse uh, than, than this big house with the yard and, and all the maintenance required, which has sort of aged along with the, the couple concerned. And, and, and I think getting in the right place, uh, thinking about uh, aging in place and fit for purpose places, retrofitting if that's going to help, having the children come around and guide the parents through, as we said, what is an emotionally heavy decision. Um, mm. Ensuring that that they can guide them through over a time is is key because what we found in our research is that the majority of people have to make a sudden decision because their health goes and suddenly they're forced out of the place or their spouse's health goes uh, or, or suddenly um, they really feel the insecurity of where they are because the kids have moved away and they think, well, I cannot manage this place anymore. And so within a six-month period, they have to make a decision from first even contemplating what they're going to do, suddenly they're in a place and a lot of those decisions are rushed and, and they don't have the greatest outcome. So planning for the future is key. Thinking mm -hmm. about it with others, bouncing ideas around, you're having the luxury of the time to make a proactive uh, step towards that 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 decision is, is going to be key. And that then sets us up not only to be in a good place where we can have that new lease on life and and um, and be independent longer, which is uh, the, one of the key goals, uh, and be around family because we're not suddenly having to find wherever there's a vacancy somewhere across town. Uh, but also it does mean that we can be prepared for the, the stage coming after, which is more assisted living, and we can we can plan it out. Uh, these are just the realities of life, and better to have a plan and uh, and and move through that with with organisation, with with dignity, and with preparedness than having a thrust upon us, which was the lot of so many when they delayed the inevitable. Um, uh, and uh, and so so that's what we found in our research, and a lot more people are getting good advice. It's, uh, people are being Australians are being more proactive in this space, and there's a lot more options and pathways and and opportunities. And I think that's fantastic to see for this massive demographic, the biggest generation ever in Australia, the baby boomers, as they head towards these important golden years. Such good insights there, Mark, from your wisdom to also the research that we've conducted over many years uh, for this sector. So really interesting chat. Thank you so much, Mark, for your time today. It's been great, as always, to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Ash. And for anyone looking to stay up to date with our latest insights, including some insights on the aged care sector and others, you can subscribe to the podcast, follow us on social media, or just simply head to mccrindle.com. So once again, as always, thank you for listening and bye for now. <laughs>